Well, we're back in Nehemiah uh, again tonight for the fourth installment of our Swords and Sledgehammers series. How many of you have been motivated over the past few weeks to be a better builder of God's kingdom? One, two, three, four. Hopefully, through these past few weeks, you guys have been motivated to be a better, a better builder of God's kingdom. It's my prayer, though, that we've taken that motivation and moved it into action. It's one thing to be motivated to do something. It's quite another thing to actually take action on the motivation that gets placed upon your heart. But we've been following Nehemiah and his undertaking of the plan God gave him to rebuild Jerusalem, applying that to our lives as builders and warriors of God's kingdom. And the plot of this narrative has really thickened the past couple of weeks. As Nehemiah and his team have begun construction on the wall, opposition has risen up against them. And we, when we left off last week in chapter 4, their enemy had threatened an attack against them if they did not cease working on the wall. And so the people had become somewhat anxious over that threat. And now they're considering leaving the work and just moving on to life as usual without rebuilding the walls around their city. And I wonder how many of us in this room tonight as believers have gotten anxious over a threat and are now considering leaving the work. But Nehemiah, being the fierce leader that he is, has a response for his people. So in Nehemiah chapter 4, picking up in verse 13, God's word says this, So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah. Look at somebody sitting next to you and just one of you say to them, I've got the hammer. Hello. Y'all have to wake up tonight, I'm telling y'all. This is way too intense of a message to sleep through tonight. Look at somebody sitting next to you, just one of you, and tell them, I've got the hammer. Now the other person that didn't get the chance to talk, you turn back to that person and say, I've got the sword. Do you, do you guys, do y'all struggle with instructions on homework assignments? Do you even read the instructions? I didn't think so. Anyway, the subject of our message tonight is building while battling. On April 12, 2005, the Discovery Channel aired its first episode of a new series called Deadliest Catch. And the whole premise of that show centered around what was at the time and still considered by many people to be the most dangerous job on the planet, crab fishing. And so these guys would ship out into the Bering Sea facing some of the most extreme weather that our planet has to offer freezing temperatures, 20-foot waves, iced over water, miles from shore, just trying to catch these king crab 
that you in turn then pay $50 a pound for when you go to the beach. And so these guys would go out and they would battle the conditions working every single day. It doesn't matter to them if there's ice on the ship or not. They're going out and they're going to work. No matter what the conditions are, they're willing to battle them because they know what the potential reward could be. Nehemiah knows that him and his people could potentially be on the eve of a very real battle from a very real enemy. And even though a fight may be on the way, there's still work to be done on the wall. And I'm going to say that again because it's important that you understand it tonight. Even though a fight may be on the way, there's still work that has to be done on the wall. And the way that he pulls his people together gives us insight to how we can continue building even in the midst of battling. And if you're going to do that, first and foremost, you've got to guard the weak spots. You've got to guard the weak spots. Go back in verse 13, because I want you to see this in the text. And I think it's important that you guys understand that these points, these outlines that I come up with, it's not just something that blows through in the wind in my office. This is coming from God's Word. It's just not some hot air that I try to fill your heads with. This is something that God shows us in His inspired and holy Word. Look at verse 13, and let's pick back up and let's see what Nehemiah does. He says, so when the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places... I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. So Nehemiah knows that Sambalat has made this threat against him and God's people that if you don't stop building this wall, we're going to attack you. A fight's coming. So Nehemiah strategically places his forces in what he describes as the lowest open places in the wall. In other words, these would have been the weak spots. These would have been the areas of vulnerability had their enemy come and attack. Nehemiah knew they would scout out these parts to go after. And so he strategically places his people with their weapons in the areas in which he anticipates his enemy to attack. Areas of weakness. Now by all accounts, modern warfare has changed drastically over the centuries. They're not talking about the Xbox or the PlayStation game. I'm talking about legit warfare in humanity. It has drastically changed over the centuries. There's no longer fighting going on with spears or swords or bow and arrows or tomahawks or any of that stuff. This isn't your cowboys and Indians kind of stuff. Warfare has changed drastically throughout the years. Now we've got tanks, we've got machine guns, we've got bombs, we've got nukes. We've got fighter jets, we've got naval ships armed with cannons. But one thing in warfare has always remained the same. And that is the fact that your opponent will always attack weakness. It doesn't matter if the tools of warfare have changed. The strategy has remained the same year after year after year. Your enemy will always attack Weakness, And if you were smart in warfare, you would do the same thing to your enemy. You would attack your enemy's weaknesses. And spiritual warfare and spiritual battles are no different in this sense either. Now it's gone through its changes as well. Over the centuries, Satan's weapons have evolved in the way in which he fights us as God's people. Well, I mean, technically an apple's still involved to some extent, but his methods and means of attack 
have somewhat changed. But one thing has always remained the same, and that is the fact that he will attack you at your weakest point. That much hasn't changed. It's still the same. And you better believe he knows what your weaknesses are. He knows that some of you have a weakness when it comes to sexual purity. He knows that some of you have a weakness when it comes to your porn addiction. He knows that some of you have a weakness when it comes to your temper. He knows some of you have a weakness when it comes to battling with bouts of depression and anxiety. He knows that some of you have a weakness in the area of the fact that you've got trust issues. He knows some of you struggle in an area of weakness with envy in comparison to the people around you. He knows some of you struggle with the weakness of having low self-esteem, low self-value, low self-worth, however you want to define it. He knows that's your weakness. And he will attack it. Can I, I want to give you a word of advice. Most attacks are driven by appeal. Most attacks are driven by appeal. And what I mean by that is, is that it's an obvious target. There's something attractive about it that draws your enemy to attack that specific thing. It's an obvious target that needs to be hit. So most attacks are driven by appeal. So you've got to set a guard in those areas of weakness in your life. Those areas of weakness that you know that you have. Like Nehemiah setting the people in the lowest and open places in the wall with their bows, their spears, and their swords. In the same way, you've got to find the low, open places of weakness in your life spiritually, and you've got to cover that with Scripture, prayer, and accountability. Because when your enemy attacks, those are the areas he's coming from. And so you've got to cover those things with Scripture. You've got to cover those things with prayer. You've got to cover those things with accountability to others. The enemy may still attack that area, but at least it doesn't look quite so inviting anymore. Some of you endure spiritual attacks in the same area of weakness over and over and over and over again because you're not bothering to try to cover up the hole. The enemy knows it's an area of weakness. You know it's an area of weakness, but you're not doing anything to set a guard in front of it. And so now that area of weakness has a certain level of appeal to your enemy because he knows there's nothing there to deter his attack. So guarding your weak spots will allow you to enable yourselves to continue building even though you might have to be battling at the same time. So once you guard the weak spots, and the next important step I feel like is in this is to remember your who. I know that sounds a little bit strange. That's why I'm going to explain it for you. It's going to make a lot of sense by the time we're done. And I think you're going to be pretty pumped up about it because this is a pretty amazing story. I mean, Nehemiah was a guy that I would follow. I don't know about you guys. This dude was legit. But you got to remember your who. Look back in verse 14. He says, I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people. So Nehemiah, knowing that attack might very well be imminent, stands up head and shoulders above all the people and delivers this speech. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. 
and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. As Nehemiah calls the people to arms, he reminds them of who they are fighting for. You've got to remember your who when you're in battle. Man, it's like a scene straight out of Braveheart or something. Except this isn't Hollywood written. This is just a man of God standing before the people of God, inspiring them to live for God. And he says, you guys stand up and fight. Fight for your brothers. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your sons. Fight for your wives. Fight for your homes. Fight for your families. Stand up and fight. Fight for those that you love. Don't be intimidated by them. Remember God who is great and awesome. And when Nehemiah says that, it was really meant in purpose to recall to these people's minds the fact that God had always gone before and fought the battles for His people. Time and time again, God's people had seen Him go before and fight their battles for them. And so in a sense, Nehemiah was calling them to remember the fact that God has always fought for us and nothing has changed. He will continue to do so. But I think there was another underlying reason in which Nehemiah spoke this to his people. He was trying to call them to remember the fact that they were fighting for people that they love. Fight for your family. Fight for your brothers that are standing next to you. Fight for the next generation that's coming up behind you. But at the same time, I think he was calling them to fight for God. To defend His honor. And to defend His name. Because ultimately, that was what the enemy was coming up against. Your enemy may come up against you, but in reality, he's coming up against God. And so Nehemiah calls these people to fight, not just for the people that they love, not just for their family, but also for the God that they love. To fight for His honor, to fight for His name as well. As you build, you're going to face battles, men and women. I promise you, you've got to remember your who. There's perhaps no greater motivator in battle than the memory of those you love and are fighting for. What do you think was one of the main reasons Jesus kept walking towards the cross? It's not that He was looking forward to it. It's not that he thought it was going to be an enjoyable thing to have to endure the excruciating pain and agony that he knew he was going to feel physically by being pinned to a tree, but also the pain and the agony that he knew he would feel spiritually by taking on the sins of the world, having his father turn his own back against him. But what kept him walking? What kept him walking was the memory of your face. And His great love that He has for you. So even though He knew there was a battle that was about to take place, He wasn't afraid to continue walking because He knew He had a kingdom to build. Just, I mean, can you guys even imagine the fact that as Jesus is walking towards Calvary, He's picturing your face. And with every face of humanity that He pictures, He takes another step. That's love. That's grace. That's a God who was willing to, in other words, fight for you. To take on all the demons of hell for you. To be mocked, to be scorned, to be shamed, publicly humiliated, beaten naked, whipped across his back until he was unrecognizable for you. In the same way, 
you have got to keep fighting for your family. You've got to keep fighting for your mom. You've got to keep fighting for your dad. You've got to keep fighting for your siblings that need Jesus. You've got to keep fighting for your grandparents, your uncles, your aunts, your nieces, your nephews, your cousins. You've got to keep fighting for your family. You've got to keep fighting for your friends that you know need Jesus. You've got to keep fighting for your teammates that you know need Jesus. You've got to keep fighting for your classmates that you know need Jesus. You've got to keep fighting for the God who has fought for you. To defend His honor. To defend His name. In a world, by the way, that only seeks to defame and decry Him. That should stir up some passion within us. I'm sorry, I know this is a sissy little sword. Hello. But you've got to get passionate about it. It should ruffle our feathers a little bit. When we see our God that has went to Calvary for us being mocked and made fun of. You've got to remember your who and keep fighting. And I know it's hard. I know it gets difficult. I know at times you don't want to fight anymore. I get that. I've been there. I've done that. But can I tell you, if eternities are at stake, then eternity should be how long we're willing to keep fighting. I'm sorry, I almost killed you all with my sword. <laughs> if you're going to continue building while battling, you've got to remember your who. But then lastly, when it gets down to it, quite simply, you just got to keep working. You can set a guard. You can remember who you're fighting for. But when it comes down to it, you've got to keep working. Look back in verse 15. It says, When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. In this instance, it worked out in the way God frustrated the enemy's plans. There was no actual physical battle. Nehemiah and the people return to working on the wall. And this is important because even though we're battling, we can't stop building. Even though we're battling, we can't stop building. And it is possible for us to multitask. How many of you would be self-admittedly bad multitaskers? Like you just, I mean, one thing is enough. Like I know some people that are so bad at multitasking, you can't even walk and chew gum at the same time. And there's probably somebody in here that legitimately can't do that. You're so bad at you just can't you can't do more than one thing at once. Some of you are so bad at multitasking, you don't even bother trying to clap and sing at the same time in church because you know that's going to be a failure. Like singing is hard enough as it is. I'm trying to focus on that. Let's not throw any clapping in there, please. You're just not good at multitasking, but it is possible for us to multitask in this area. And there is a design that God has left for us to follow that allows us to do that. And that's what I want you to see here. And I think this is such good stuff that I want you guys to be able to apply to your lives tonight. There is a design in place. Go back and look at verse 16. It says, from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. 
the way in which you continue to keep working, keep building in the midst of battling, is number one, we've got to have each other's back. As work resumed, half built the wall and half stood with the sword. Tyler Brantley, come here. They know I was going to do this tonight. But I need an example. Don't worry, I'm not going to make you sing. I'm not going to hit you with a sword. But you're going to hold it. Nehemiah says from that day on, can you handle this? Are you sure? Okay. All right. From that day on, half worked on the wall, half held the hammer, half held the sword. But I want you to, to notice the way in which this happened. Right, go back to the text. One held the hammer, one held the sword, but they stood back to back. It says that the whole leaders stood behind the house of Judah. So as one is working on the wall with the hammer, the other one is standing back to back with him with the sword. And this is an important position for us. That's why I want you guys to illustrate this for me. One held the hammer, one held the sword. As we build, we have each other's back. Why? Because the enemy loves to attack from behind. And so we know that going into the work. We know that going into the battle. And so Nehemiah in his wisdom said, I want half of you guys to hold the hammer and to build the wall. I want the other half of you to pick the sword up just in case our enemy decides to attack. And so they stood back to back with each other. They've got each other's back in the same way should be true for us as we build in God's kingdom. We're to have each other's back. Yes, we're all responsible for building. But we also look out for each other in the process. Because we know there's an enemy out there that would seek to take us down. But there's another step to this. Go back in the text, look at verse 17. It says, those who were building on the wall, those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. So even though the workers had guards behind them, they stayed ready. So we're good. You can go. Brantley, you can stay. So here's what I want you to see. Even though they had each other's back, the workers still had the responsibility to continue building, but also to hold their own sword. With one hand, individually, we hold a hammer. With the other hand, we hold a sword as well. So even though we work as a team, we all have an individual responsibility to be ready to build while at the same time being ready to battle. Don't allow yourself, here's where I think we get in trouble. Don't allow yourself to be so distracted by battles that you forget to build. Battling back against our spiritual enemy is an important thing, but if it, you're not careful, it becomes a distracting thing. And if he can, he'll make the battle so intense that you'll pick up, he's fine with you picking up the sword just as long as you lay down the hammer. Don't get so distracted by the battle that you forget to build. And so we've got each other's back. We use both our hands in the sense that we have the hammer and the sword in each one. And then there's one more step to this. Go back to the text, the second half of verse 18. It says, The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight 
force. The way in which we can continue to keep working even in the midst of battling is that we rally when needed. We rally when needed. In other words, we come to each other's aid. So at times, work would get spread out on the wall. People would have to move further down than the place where they originally were at. And so that means from time to time, there would be isolated incidences where certain workers might be working on a section of wall by themselves. And that's a dangerous thing to be isolated when there's an enemy lurking nearby. And so the way in which we can keep working is that we rally to each other when needed. Nehemiah said, the man who had the trumpet stood beside me, and I told him, and all the people, when you hear the trumpet sound, rally to us in that point. Why? Because there's a battle taking place there. Because our enemy has finally decided to attack. When you hear the trumpet, you come running to help out with the fight. And so this happens from time to time in our lives as well. Come here, Drew. From time to time, you're going to be spread out. We're going to be working in different areas. You're going to be spread out on the wall. And all of a sudden, the enemy is going to show up in the form of discouragement and attack. At other times, come here, Daniel. The enemy is going to show up in the form of doubt. He's going to attack. At other times, come here, Mary Lauren. The enemy is going to show up in the form of depression, and he's going to attack. At other times, come here, Charlie. The enemy is going to show up with a voice of worthlessness, and he's going to attack. And Nehemiah says, when you hear the trumpet sound, you rally to us in that point. And here's the point that I want to make to you guys. When we see a brother or a sister surrounded by the enemy, it's time that we come running to their aid. There will be times when we get spread out in the work. But as we live together as a family of believers, and I realize that my brother, that Brantley is being attacked by the enemy, I should come running. You guys should come running. Yeah, he may be surrounded, but guess what? There's plenty of us to surround the ones that have surrounded him. And so as we come back, I speak a word of affirmation. We get rid of discouragement. As we come back, I speak a word of encouragement. We get rid of doubt. We gather together to our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we begin to speak away these things that the enemy is attacking with, and we get rid of everything else that he's being attacked with, and now we can get back to working. But the problem is, so many people in God's house are getting attacked, and we're not rallying to help them fight the battle. You're good, bro. You can take the sword with you. He didn't want the souvenir. You guys want to fight with. It's time that we start rallying to our brothers and sisters in need when we see it happening. Come on, guys. This is how we build while we battle. You set a guard in your areas of weakness. You remember who you're fighting for. 
And then you keep working. Even when it gets hard. Even when it gets difficult. Those crab fishermen that we talked about at the beginning, they work every single day battling extreme conditions, risking their lives because of the potential temporary award that they might get at the end of the season. We should be building and battling as believers every day because of the potential eternal reward that we know is out there for us to have a part in. Every single day, we should be out building and battling for the salvation of lost souls. Every single day, we should be out there building and battling for the restoration of broken lives. Every single day, we should be out there building and battling for the healing and the cleansing of rebellious hearts around us that need Jesus, they just don't know it yet. Every day, guys. Man, I don't know about y'all. But I'm tired of God's house having so many empty seats. I don't know about y'all, but I'm tired of seeing God's people hurt and be attacked and nobody come to their aid. The last time I checked, family fights for family. You know, it would be one thing for the enemy to attack me personally in my own life. But you better believe it's quite another thing if he decides to attack my wife. I'm not going to have that. How many of you know somebody that's going through a battle right now and you're not running to their aid? How many of you know right now that you sit next to people in class every single day? You go and work beside people every single day. You go and visit family members every single week that don't know Jesus, that don't know His salvation. And you're not fighting for the salvation of their souls. You're not picking up the hammer and getting to work. How are we going to respond? Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for His glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.